Welcome to Emil Franzing's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Amo Franzi's Voices of the West. I'm Harry Alexander, Bunker to France here. Todd Roberts is in Los Angeles. Howdy. Howdy, howdy. I know I I figured out what in the world happened here, buddy. Uh, I forgot to plug in something. That's why I couldn't hear. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's it's better than forgetting to be. Ooh, I'm so loud. What's going on? Turn you down there. Whoops, turn you down. There you go. Yeah, that... Turn me down some more. I can Turn hear myself like louder than you guys. All right. Okay. Yeah, I forgot what I was going to say. Whatever it was, it wasn't important anyway. <laughs> oh, I think it was important, Bunker. Listen, uh, you know, I, I sometimes forget to mutt my pants on and I leave the house. <laughs> well, I value your judgment here. Let me see here. We're, yeah, I think that's better. Yeah. Oh, it shows you how we are here. Now, Harry's down. He's down on his hands and knees. I think he's praying. Are you praying, Harry? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Pass the ammunition. Yeah, well, that's the that's the beautiful interchangeable part of praying and drinking too much because uh, you know uh, either one leads you to be on your knees. Well, that's what they call that praying at the porcelain throne. No, no, no. Yeah. we're not doing that. No, huh? we're not doing that. No, no. Oh no, we're not. We're 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 off. Actually, we're in the in the. I guess this is the lobby game room uh, uh, gathering area of the beautiful White Stallion Ranch. That's and, right. Yeah, which is now yeah. going to be our permanent home. We're streaming live every yeah. Saturday, and uh, you know, so that's how that's going to be. Today's topic. Yeah. It's, it is Movie Saturday, and today's topic is going to be a good one. I ah. think. Um, we've been working on this one for quite a while. And what Arguing gonna, back and forth. Big time. Um, we're going to do the first talkies of the uh, Western Stars. Hmm. Mm. Now, first Westerns, talkies. Westerns, the coming of sound. Yeah, the Westerns, the coming of sounds. Uh, Hoof beats. You know, it's... Uh, Winnie and the horses. <laughs> oh, wait a minute, I could probably... F- Cattle stampedes. <laughs> uh, I can't get to it fast enough. Shootout. Although, <laughs> <laughs> that's sound effects. Bunker we does. don't need we don't need talkie films. We've got bunker. I know. <laughs> well, you still got to have sound, or you won't, or, or it's just me moving my lips. <laughs> well, which is what it was when the people went to go see a silent movie. <laughs> yes. Let's not forget what the great Jack Warner said when he heard that MGM was making a talkie, mm-hmm. um, and somebody came to him and said, you know. Um, JW, uh, MGM's going to make a talkie with Al Jolson, the singer. And he said, what? Yeah, they're going to make talkies. They're going to speak the dialogue. They're not going to be silent films anymore. And he said, talk? Who in the hell wants to hear an actor talk? (laughs) Balderdash. (laughs) And there we are. And in the meantime... Warner Brothers had been working on their own system for uh, bringing sound to the movies. It was called the Vitaphone system. And essentially what that did was um, it recorded, it it was a, uh, the the sound was recorded on a disc. Disc recording. And the disc was then attempted to be synced to the movie. And generally, it was just the key scenes. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, you know, now that we're on it, let's go back and do the do a, a good history of sound in film. 
And I just happen to have a couple of notes here. Uh, I'll tell you, the, the, the best book that one might find about that kind of topic, yeah. Scott Iman, Speed of Sound. Yes, indeedy. Well, anyhow, back in 1895, there was a chronomegaphone designed for large halls, used to compress air to amplify the recorded sound, and that was done with screening. Now, moving on ahead to the glorious year of 1900, uh, it was the first known public exhibition of projected sound film in Paris. And then, of course, the, later came the, the sound on film disc that Harry was talking about. And in 1923, the first com- commercial screenings of short films with sound actually preceded the features. And then that's kind of the, com- the compressed uh, version of sound. And, you know, yeah. Uh, Todd, what do you want to throw in there? I just, you know, I think it's very interesting that, you know, uh, what I said about Jack Warner, but also, you know, I know it's an imaginary character, but Norma Desmond in in, in Sunset Boulevard, you know, when she's yes. chatting with, with William Holden, and he's like, uh, you know, you, you, you guys, uh, you know, you got to have dialogue, what is you know, I'm paraphrasing, you know, you don't have any, in all those films you made, you didn't have any dialogue, she said, dialogue we didn't need dialogue we had faces (laughs) (laughs) well you know that's funny because till today if you look at film and television 90 percent of it is based on faces yeah for sure it's all faces and and i think your point is so uh, poignantly made bunker if we go from 1929 when the jazz singer was made the first hockey and we catapult forward to 1964 when Sergio Leone makes the first of his spaghetti westerns and throughout all of them you find a uh, a constant theme which is in a way he was making them as if they were silenced because it's all about the eyes right and the dialogue uh, uh, was not as important as the expression in the eyes and, and we know when we did that show with Michael Blake about Ford that he made his films in a lot of ways like they were silenced because let me show you what how the people feel. Let right. me show you what they're doing and let me show you the results of their actions as opposed to hearing about it. And, you know, that brings up the thing of you, when you look at the silence, uh, there was good-looking men in them, but for the most part, the men looked like men. They didn't look like actors. They, they looked like a guy you might see on the street. Now, the right. ladies were all pretty. That's good. I like pretty ladies. But now you take today, if you want to be a, a, you know, I grew up when all the actors that I loved and respected were older. They were older men to me because I was a kid. Right. But I didn't realize that like today, the, the the stars are like in their twenties. These were guys that were in their late late twenties or early thirties at the best. Nowadays, if you don't have a set of abs, you're not going to get a lead on a television show. <laughs> right. Yeah. And like and, that's important. And, well, it, yeah, it, it's it's important for your uh, your girlfriend, the trainer, um, and I. But I think it's important to remember more 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 poignantly is the fact that you know how many were major major stars in the silence that weren't able to cross over into the talkies. The the I think the most poignant example to me is Ronald Coleman, who was. Maybe at that moment, other than Bruno Valentino, the sexiest man alive mm-hmm. in film, but he, you know, he had a kind of higher voice, right? And you know, uh, it didn't translate as we know. And 
you know, it could be said Valentino died in 26, two years, or should I say three years before the first hockey. With that thick, heavy accent, would he have made that transition? No, probably not. He might have pulled it off just fine. Uh, And we know a lot of great actors who had a thick accent who pulled it off. Uh, But then again, we don't know and we'll never know. Go ahead, Eric. Have either of you uh, seen and, and watched The Jazz Singer? I saw it years yes. and years and years and years ago, and, and it yes. was a bad print on TV, so I can't really comment on it that much. Well, and and we and and only to your point, Bunker, is that we know that that unfortunately the quality of the film, which also means the quality of the sound, was not mm-hmm. as high quality as it is, even shall we say, twenty years later. Yeah, didn't have they didn't 40, have the 49. mixers. They didn't yeah. have right. the mixers back then. So then now you take it to. 69 or 89 and it's it's a world of difference and and a lot of that has to do with george lucas who in 76 created ilm and thx sound because he said for 30 or 40 years the movie theater speaker has not changed how could everything else change in movies technology wise and that not and you know the funny thing is all one of the things that we remember, especially from the early western uh, hockey westerns, is the sidekicks with their with, with their weird sound and nasal and yep. and you know stutters and snub bollard. Yeah, <laughs> I mean there's exactly. one right there. Al, Al, Al St. John. Yeah. Hey, Gabby, uh, hey, uh, Gabby, how many leading men talk like yeah. that? <laughs> Pat Buttram. Yeah. And uh, Smiley Burnett when he'd sing like a frog. Frog, um, yes. Yeah, and and. I think that shows how great his the control of his voice was in his being able to manipulate his whole voice that with that lesser quality sound, you could still hear him as clear as day. Can you imagine what he'd sound like today if he was making pictures? Yeah. And you think about this, too, because I was in, the, in the, one of the books I was referencing for, for background on this. Uh, so many of the... Uh, Bees, the really low-budget independents of that day, they didn't have much money for sound, and some of the things that hurt them was the quality of the sounds, because some of them were, you know, the critics of the time said the movie was quite good, but the sound was kind of, you know, questionable. Well, and obviously there are those uh, that the studio heads, the powers that be, that appreciated sound more than others mm-hmm. because of the quality of the of of the technology they went out in search of to bring into their studio to make their films with. Uh, and I don't think anybody can even come close. No one, in my mind, ever can even come within a universe's uh, distance how uh, close enough as Howard Hughes was because every he left every uh, everybody else behind because he not only understood it, from a mechanical side, he had a mechanical brain and so on as an engineer owning a tool company, but also from the technology side of his plane, his aviation pursuits. And if you can imagine, he shoots Hell's Angels, which at the time is maybe one of the biggest pictures ever made, it, it, other than uh, Griffith's Intolerance. He goes to see the jazz singer and leaves the pig, film and... Uh, is is calling uh, Noah Dietrich and telling him uh, we, we you need to go find more money for Hell's Angels. He said, you finished the picture. You know, what do you need more money for? He goes, we're going to shoot it all in 
talkies. <laughs> and you know, it's, it's interesting because one of the actors that was the lead in the silent version was dropped for another actor. And speaking of the uh, movie Hell's Angels, our sometime guest and uh, <laughs> friend of the show, David, uh, what is your last name? Layton. <laughs> uh, senior moment. David Layton. Mr. X. Uh, Mr. X. David Layton, uh, freelance journalist. and Otherwise uh, known as Cookie Monster. Cookie Monster, right. yes, uh, has joined <laughs> us. And he has, uh, you've been doing stuff about... Uh, we don't have a microphone for you, so we'll have to share. But uh, you you were doing stuff about uh, Howard Hughes and uh, the the movie uh, Hell's Angels uh, that we were just talking about. Yeah, I mean, off and on uh, for about a year, year and a half, something like that. I've been researching the movie. Um, so it's quite quite interesting, uh, the aviation film and stuff like that. Well, Todd mentioned that uh, after... Hughes had seen the jazz singer. He remarked to the company that we're going to shoot Hell's Angels over again for talking. <laughs> yeah, once once he saw that talkies were the future, he was uh, pretty much on board with reshooting at least all the talking scenes, most of the aviation scenes. Uh, he went with and he just added kind of background sounds to those, like, yeah. like the propeller yeah. and stuff, the machine guns and stuff like that. Air, yeah. Airplane but foley. The, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, he didn't waste time. He didn't waste time. And money on dialogue, he did it on, again, like as Ford said, action. Enhancing the action scenes with propeller and machine gun fire and the whizzing of the plane, as David's talking about. Only to make this point even greater, let's just put this into perspective about use. He goes to see the jazz singer premiere uh, with Gene Harlow <laughs> as his date. <laughs> and he's more focused on the film he's watching than, than his date. That's because Howard Hughes had pretty much all the women anyway. So True, but it wasn't really a big deal David, for him. David, it's Gene Harlow. Yeah, really. I, know. I mean, I, you know, Gene Harlow. Yes. yes I mean, as, as, the, as the great photographer uh, 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 George Harrell said, um, she absolutely mesmerized me because some people, they were commenting on, why was your why was your photo session with Harrell so long? I don't know. He just kept wanting to take pictures, the same picture over and over again. <laughs> and he said she mesmerized me. Yeah. She enchanted me so much I was mesmerized. I couldn't take my eyes off of her. And there wasn't any film in the camera. <laughs> no, there wasn't. <laughs> Bunker, don't, don't spoil the surprise. Uh, I know that trick. <laughs> So let, let's pose this particular question then uh, before we go to break. Um, the, with the advent of sound and the way silence had been directed where we were, you, we were seeing the actors, the emotions on the face and uh, the eyes and so forth, but now you can bring the dialogue into that kind of, uh, of situation does that demean the movie, or does that enhance the movie? Well, it's a step in evolution, and one of the things is... is uh, the, and are directors relying on that? Well, would, would directors rely on that too much and forget the basics? I don't think they could, because for one thing, almost all of the directors had no sound experience. All they had was silent experience, so they had to make that adjustment. And part of the part of the conditions of the time is that they couldn't film what they didn't have the freedom of movement that they had in silence because right. the camera was static static yeah, and, and yeah on a tripod as opposed to a dolly well, originally it was in a soundproof box yeah. 
which yeah. made it yeah, made so much so. noise. And you move on with, you know, it, that's where that's why in old Arizona is such an important film, right? Because it's outdoors. It's the first talking western. Right. It's also the first uh, singing western. Right. Uh, it, it's just a ton of firsts in it. And a great movie to boot. Yeah, I think. Well, and I think and it's also you could important do it outdoors. to re- to remember that in the transition to talkies. Um, the studios now said, well, we, we, you know, uh, we need to get more dialogue in these films because yeah. we didn't have a lot of dialogue before. And a lot of your actors, um, as we saw, the, the, they might have made a lot of talkies and made uh, in these new talkies a lot of actors talking. But they were not as well received by the public as you would have expected as they they thought it would be because of Jolson, mm-hmm. him singing, that was received well. But a lot of these actors, unfortunately, were stage actors, mm-hmm. and they were overly dramatic, yep. and they knew how to play on a stage to a smaller audience that was relatable. But now these guys got out there, and a lot of the directors complained that, you know, these guys are like waiting <laughs> the, the actors, when they deliver their lines, and they're waiting for a response. Well, there is no response. <laughs> the, cra- the crew is not allowed to make any noise, genius. Yeah, yeah, You're yeah. out there on your own. That's why the line, <laughs> the other great line from, from Sunset Boulevard is so poignantly true, which is uh, when, when they're screening a film in her grand living room, and uh, uh, you see William Holden's a bit bored, and... Um, you know, uh, Norma Desmond stands up, Gloria Swanson, and she's like, she's so in, inspired by the film, she just can't get over it. And she goes, look at that, look at that. I mean, that's acting, that's production, and so on and so on. And and, and, he's, she's, and he's like, who, you know, he kind of looks at her, he's like, well, who are you talking to? And she goes, I'm talking to all those people out there in the dark. Well, those people out there in the dark aren't there when you're making the movie, but... For certain actors, they were. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's why certain talkies were better than others in the beginning. All right, got to do our first commercial break here. We're talking about when uh, the West went talking. <laughs> the coming of sound. Uh, here on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, and Todd Roberts. Welcome back. The cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true West, where a large number of Westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. 
Are you looking for a smart way to invest your hard-earned dollars? Look no further than Wilkinson Wealth Management. This is an investment firm that works for you based on your expectations, not what the stock market says. This is a firm that wants you as a client, not just as a customer. This is a firm that lets you design a portfolio for when you need it. It's a new name, but the same great service you've come to expect. I Miss Wilkinson is now Wilkinson Wealth Management. 7411 East Tanker Verde in Tucson. 520-777-1911. America, let me tell you about Sergeant Greg Anderson. Served two tours in Afghanistan. Bronze Star and Purple Heart recipient and unemployed. The unemployment rate among transitioning service members is unacceptably high, much higher than the general population. Veterans are a proven commodity. They're mature, reliable, and hardworking. They deserve a chance to get back to work after serving their country. Do you really want to honor a veteran? Hire one. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help. I got witnesses right here to prove that Wilton murdered Fred Wynn. That's right. I heard him say so. Oh, and by the way, Sheriff, I got Ware inside. You might as well take him along, too. I got a signed confession that he framed my father in the asylum. So you see, boys, all it takes is a little frontier justice. Good day. This is the Voices of the West. I was thinking tonight while the moon's shining bright All the boys that I adore But he won't have me that is plain to see And it hurts me more and more You think he's in love with a yodeling gal From the hills of Tennessee We're back on Abel Francis of Voices of the West Harry Alexander Bunker to France Todd Roberts, our guest David Layton and some Passy Montana. (laughs) She made talkies. Yeah. Well, you know, while during the break, David asked a good question, which was, you know, is there a difference between, in the sound, between music in a Western and people talking in a Western? I say sound is sound. Um, I know... I know that music had been part of, in the Vitaphone process, music had been part of that mm-hmm. to show with the film. And music had always been a big part of the movie, yeah. silent or not. Um, and, and That's what's, a good point. And what's interesting in that, about that is that music, there was no music written specifically for the movies until after the talkies came about. Music had been, previously it had been compiled for a particular movie, and frequently... Composed. No, compiled, not composed. Okay, well, some of it was composed. Very, very little of it was composed. There there was, people borrowed music, Um, that's why you hear a lot of classical music, Mm -hmm. and and things of that nature, uh, in the silence. With talkies, that's when music started to be composed for the film, specifically for the film. So well, I think there an, is a difference. Here's an interesting thing, because this is one of the 1930 movies, and it's a movie called Montana Moon. It had Johnny Mac Brown, Joan Crawford, Ricardo Contes, and it was actually a stage musical, and they just... Uh, basically shot it the same way. Mm-hmm. One of the unique things about it, because it was from a stage thing, 
is all of the ranchers wore tuxedos <laughs> and they were interested in in putting modern furniture in their ranch mm-hmm. houses. So it was probably, in fact, there's a great still here of guys standing around in tuxedos. But even then, you know, they were, it was, film has always been a, a medium of experience. Expiration. Right. Let's get to the uh, uh, the meat of the matter here. The actors and actresses that uh, we talk about frequently and their first uh, talkies. Uh, for example, Bob Steele. Mm. His first talkie near the Rainbow's End, and it was a singy as well because uh, Steele sang in that movie. And thank God he had a day job. Um, <laughs> yes. So. Well, he, wasn't, he wasn't his brother. Uh, no, his brother uh, Bill had uh, had the singing voice. Near the Rainbow's End came out in 1930, and it's a pretty decent movie, actually. Um, I have seen it, and uh, it, it's not a favorite Bob Steele, but it, it's a doggone good Bob Steele movie. And uh, I forget who the female lead is in, in there. Uh, Leif McKee is in, in the movie as well. Uh, he's everybody's dad. Yeah, it was back then. <laughs> yeah, it's a familiar, you know, rustlers causing havoc between cattlemen and sheepmen. Mm-hmm. Cattle rancher's son Steele puts an end to it and brings peace to the valley. Mm-hmm. And uh, so oh, this other thing, this is this is an interesting note about it. He says the fights, as usual in Steele's films, are particularly ferocious. Bob. You know, it's been said that Steele had uh, experience as a boxer, that he attended school for that sort of thing. There's no evidence to suggest that he did do that, but he was a pretty damn good boxer. Well, here's the thing. Uh, we used to get together at Victor French's once a month. for. You our, knew Bob Steele. Or no, met, well, he, you he met Bob down, Steele. He lived down the street from us. Yeah. Uh, he was always out in the yard raking or watering. Grouchy as hell. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, He's carrying on with his Duffy character. <laughs> 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 but, but uh, uh, where was I going with that? Oh, you met... Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. We, we, we would have, and, and a friend of ours from Lancaster that had a tremendous collection of movie stills and, and uh, shorts and stuff, he had a film that Bob Bradbury filmed, uh, and it was you know, kind of like a trailer in the theaters, and it was introducing... Battling Bobby Steele, right, and he was in he was in a boxing ring, you know, with the gloves on, sparring with the air, but uh, that was the, that was his introduction to his on his first picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Todd, anything you want to throw in? Well, I think it's the you know the interesting twist here is how the talkie changed. It changed the western from the silent to the to you know in many cases. Obviously, it added a lot more to the action of it all, but it also changed the careers of people. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, Richard Dick's first talkie, you know, while he had been making in silence, he was making, uh, ta- uh, you know, crime dramas, and then he did a another crime drama as a talkie, and then from there they found him into westerns, you right. know, and that, that created... And there are other cases of this that changed, shall I say, people's lives and people's careers that was unintended, and, and no one no one knew of that, and they could foresee that. But it happened, and it and it changed a lot of things. And you know, films like The Great Divide and In Old California, um, which were both westerns, uh, 
you know, in 27 and or 28 and 29, you know, you wouldn't expect them to have been as great as they were. But when you look back on them, they're obviously the, the trailblazers or the predecessors. Groundbreakers, yeah. You know, and speaking of groundbreakers, and I know it's a film that, that uh, Bunker loves, but, you know, uh, The Big Trail with... Mm-hmm. Uh, John Wayne. With, uh, you, know, uh, you know, there's an old saying that the Romans lived by, which was uh, favor, uh, uh, favor favors the bold. And Raul Walsh was definitely bit off a lot more than he could chew by making The Big Trail, but what it created was the inspiration for other filmmakers to say, hey... It is possible. I could go try and do that. And it's and a hell he of a did. film. And it's a hell of a film. Hell of too. a film. And that you're... Richard Dix film I was mentioning was called The Love Doctor, mm-hmm. uh, which is something that uh, they used to call me in high school, but that's another story. <laughs> um, uh, you know, and it's with Richard Dix. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. It, the, listen, I, I really did well in the, in uh, shop class. In animal um, husbandry, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, there's a there was a there was a time where, you know, uh, more than once, I think it's even happened uh, of late when you look at a film like um, uh, Avatar by James Cameron. Whether you like the film or not, what it did was it knocked down not just doors, it knocked down walls mm-hmm. of... And it of, was just an of, Indian movie, really. Yeah, right. You know, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a ripoff of, of Dances with Wolves. But, well, it, it, but it broke down the barriers of constraints of what we think, oh, we're able to do or what we're capable of or what technology is capable of and made people to think beyond all of that. Well, let's go back to Richard Dix for a moment here because I'm thinking of Cimarron, you know, 19, what was it, 1931, but that was the most successful Western epic of the early sound era. I mean, in fact, uh, Warner Brothers went back to doing westerns because they had dropped him for a while because of the success of that film. Completely, and and, don't forget, it was it would also won Best Picture. Right. You know, and it's never been a film that I liked. Um, I love the con, I love the story, but at this, you know, in in some ways it was written by Edgar Ferber, who wrote Giant, Um, but you know, I always my problem with the film has always been the same, which was it's the guy. It's a story about a guy who abandons his family, and I, 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 I have a hurdle. That's my own thing, and I can't get over that. But mm-hmm. I then when Glenn Ford remakes it in the fifties, I don't think it's really that much better. No, I think um, actually I think the Dick's version is better. Uh, and but yeah. you know, but you know, if you want to talk, the thing that made the movie I really believe is the land rush sequence, which. You got to go. You got to give the credit to that to Tumbleweeds to William S. Hart in twenty five. Yeah. 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 Well, and and that film, as you say, Bunker broke that that scene of the the land rush broke down a lot of barriers because all of a sudden, hey, you know, these camera cameras are capable of doing more than we thought, and sound is able to receive more or do more than we thought, and you know, when you look at that land rush scene compared to Far and Away with Tom Cruise by Ron Howard. You know, I have to tell you that in a per capita basis, I think that uh, uh, Cimarron's land rush scene is maybe a better a better shot scene. Yeah, well, I right. think all of those. You know, you, if you look at another another man, another woman, another, another man, another chance with uh, it, they have a land rush scene. In fact, they shot that here in Tucson, mm-hmm. and it's a small land rush, but it's you know, 
that's difficult. I worked on it. Those are difficult to shoot. And it was a very interesting ram rush because what it starts out, uh, it's got four groups. It's got people on foot, runners. And they start them in a wave. Then they're followed by people on back on bicycles like that. Then the people in wagons follow that, hmm. and then followed by the horsemen. Wow. So it's kind of like a handicap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not really a land rush, it's a race, but it's it's that same you know motif. We are talking about the first talkies, uh, specifically of the Western stars that we know and love to watch here on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, Todd Roberts in Los Angeles, David Layton is with us as well. we got to do our second commercial break. And I uh, want to get back to the actors uh, that we all love to talk about after these messages. Stay tuned. Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year, we become more and more dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. The Tucson Trap and Ski Club dates from 1948 and is now at 7800 West Old Ajo Highway. The club owns 80 acres and leases 300 more from Pima County that supports 50 trap fields, 15 ski fields, two five-stand fields, two sporting plays courses with 12 stations each, a 9,000 square foot clubhouse, 200 full-service RV hookups for members, and free Wi-Fi. This expansive facility gives enough room to host major national and international events annually, bringing thousands of people to the community. Check it out at TucsonTrapAndSki.com. You've got some cattle you want rustled but don't have enough henchmen of your own to do the job little lady up the road a piece won't strike a deal with you about water rights you out there come one step near and old best here'll spit right in your eye so you need to strike your own deal but you need the right henchman to do the job the stage is hauling a wells fargo box loaded with gold you've got the perfect spot to liberate that gold but like henchmen to pull off the job what to do you better start packing a handgun Call Red a Hench. We're a bad guy rental agency. We provide you with enough scruffy henchmen to tackle any job with specific directions. Just listen to what Red a Hench users have to say. Well, you know, when I joined Red a Hench, I was trained by Bud Osborne, Charlie King, and some of the best head henches there ever was. And I'm going to guarantee you that you cannot hench without the proper henches around you. And that's just a gentle hench. When you need sheer numbers of henchmen, call us. We specialize in stage holdups, water right disputes, squatter troubles, cattle rustling, and much more. Our Rena henchmen may not be able to think their way out of a paper bag, but they sure can follow directions, and they won't sing to the law about you if they get caught. See our ad in the Saturday Evening Post or Harper's Weekly. Hey, not only that, when you're in the Long Branch and you want to go next door to Doc's to get that bullet out of your shoulder, Get a Renahance to sit there on your place and keep your whiskey warm while you're gone. Renahance, when you need bad guys to do bad guy stuff so you can keep your hands clean. You let me do the work. We never should have taken that shortcut. Look where it's led us straight into a trap. We should have turned back. We should have turned back. I wanted to. I wanted to. Aye, quiet. There's a way out of every place. This is the Voices of the West. And 
usually the way out of some places through the high chaparral. Welcome back to Amy uh, to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. I'm Harry Alexander. Bunker de France is here, as is Todd Roberts. He's in Los Angeles. David Layton is joining us. Uh, we're movie Saturday streaming live to you. We should from, turn back. we got to turn back, Harry. <laughs> we're turn back. Streaming live from the uh, White Stallion Ranch, beautiful Tucson, Arizona, in uh, north see, of Tucson. I can see the, the cows out in the corral. It's and they're pretty. They're, they're cowing around, are yeah. they? Well, you know, Todd mentioned the, the Well, let me tr- reset the show here. Yeah. You know, Todd you, mentioned the Let me tr- reset the show before you start again. Uh, we, oh. We're talking about the West, the the uh, the yeah. first talkies <laughs> of our favorite cowboy stars. Now. Oh, okay. I was just, just going to mention because you know, Todd <laughs> Todd brought up the big trail, and the big trail, although it was not an economic success, was the first epic western shot in sound, and the first one for John Wayne. Yes, 1930, and he was speaking. Indeed. Well, now, Whitey, <laughs> let's go to Oregon. That was that was a pretty good movie, and uh, Tyrone Power Senior Senior, yeah, is our uh, heavy in that one, and. He, Man, he, he was him. He reminded me so much of uh, Noah Beery Senior, yeah. uh, his mannerisms and such. But anyway, I digress. Well, he did, but I also want to compliment him because when people have said to me, uh, you know, when they've watched that film, you know, uh, oh, I can't understand the way he, I can't understand any of his dialogue. <laughs> and I always say, yeah, have you ever watched The Revenant with Tom Hardy? Yeah, right. I sat there for two hours and watched that movie. <laughs> I didn't understand one word he said, even when the, the camera was only two inches away from his lips and he was eating. And captions don't help any. I didn't understand any, him. And captions didn't help any either. <laughs> yeah, I needed and my own sign. And hearing like me, it's even harder. <laughs> well, I needed my own sign language interpreter <laughs> for his dialogue. All right. <laughs> All right. Only, let me also just make one quick point here that as we we're talking about trailblazers who embraced the future of talkies and moved with all of their being, all of their energy and all their enthusiasm towards them, there were others who resisted who were just as much the mm-hmm. some of the greatest filmmakers of all time that are true, true geniuses, the foundations of this industry. And Chaplin was one of them. Yeah. Because, you know, he, everybody kept telling him, oh, you got to do talkies. And he said, why? Yeah, really? <laughs> well, because everybody else is doing them. And he said, yeah. And you know what? Everybody else's movies don't do as well in foreign countries where there's a language barrier, mm-hmm. where mine do so well. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, he, throughout, throughout Russia and throughout all, all of Europe and Latin America, the Little Tramp was a universal language, yes. whereas now talkies excluded basically the non-speaking, non-English speaking world. Yeah. Well, you know, it's an interesting thing, too, because if you think about it, uh, the, you know, the concept with, with sound is it's got to be a certain way. You've got to have this. In this transition period, some of these films were shot in sound and released as silence yeah. as well yeah. because they knew that the theaters around the country would not be able to show them. That was another big problem with sound coming into play is that the, the only major theaters that could handle any kind of sound were in Los Angeles or in New York. Yeah. Well, now, what about the rest of flyover country? Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, all of these studio moguls made their big money starting out as um, handling the distribution of films and, and such. So you got to wonder 
why they didn't uh, pursue that even further, moving into the, well, uh, you know, getting the, 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 the uh, movie houses ready for sound. Take this into thought, too, is the year, we're talking around 1929, height of depression. A lot yeah. of these theaters, yeah. they, they, they were they barely getting it. by, and they right. couldn't afford It's just like, right. you know, with the, all the technology. I, I saw a film in, out of Warner Brothers Studio. A bunch of us were invited down there. Uh Dalton Trumbo did it, directed it. It was fantastic. It was like 3D, but it wasn't. And he was using different camera speeds. And you literally, when they were doing a drive down Mulholland Drive, as you're going around the curves, I could feel myself <laughs> leaning into the into the curve. Yeah. Like it because it, it was working on the right, brain. Right. And <clears throat> to talk afterward, uh, Trumbo said. Right now, he says there's only one theater in the United States that can show it, and that's the Cinerama Dome, because they have the cameras that can show it. He says, that is the problem. He says, almost every theater in America has obsolete projection equipment. Well, sound came before they had it all fixed up, so they could run the damn sound. Johnny, go ahead. And and hardware always drives the conversation. And cash. you know, well, but that's that is cash. Hardware is cash. It's where are you going to spend it? And that was, you know, the argument um, b- between that bro that created the divide between Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, which was Bill Gates said, let's just build software that fits all existing hardware. Yeah. And and it was Bill Gates who said uh, uh, Steve Jobs who said, no, I want to create new hardware. Yeah. And and they left each other because of that issue. Now, as it turns out, they were both right. But you might want to say that Bill Gates was more right because he was bigger sooner. And yeah, and, and technology moves sooner. faster today yeah. than it did then. Uh, uh, un- until, right. until that issue with the mouse came about. Ed, that he said, ah, I don't think I want that. <laughs> and what an idiot. But there's anyway, a with touchscreen now. Anyway, yeah. anyway. Yeah, and don't forget that Thalberg said, no, I don't want to make uh, Gone with the Wind. Well, that so and, you know. And, geniuses and, do make mistakes. And and Jack Warner is probably, well, was was probably happy all the way to the bank when Rin Tin Tin uh, managed to get uh, Warner Brothers out of bankruptcy. Hey, and think about this. Yeah. The advertisement. When Rin Tin Tin did his first movie, Bark. Rin Tin Tin barks. Bark, bark, bark. <laughs> anyway, Johnny Mac Brown, one of my favorite cowboy oh, actors, the pride of Dothan, Alabama. And uh, his first movie that I found that uh, in where he speaks is called Coquette uh, from 1929. In that movie, he played Mary Pickford's love interest, Michael Jeffrey. His first Western talkie, a great movie from King Vador. Billy the Kid, Billy 1930. The kid. And this was a, a phenomenal movie because, you know, it, it brought sound, but it was shot outdoors in Lincoln on location, Lincoln County, where it all took place. And the funny thing, this is this shows you, this is sound outdoors. They shot in Arizona, California, New Mexico, and Utah. Yep. That for that time, that era, and that time, that was phenomenal. And that's not a John Ford movie, but that's no. a King Vador, and yes. King Vador did that kind of stuff as well. <laughs> and you know, William S. Hart was a technical advisor on yep. it. Supposedly, the gun that Brown used in that was supposed was, to have been was, was Billy's. Been Billy the yeah, Kids. yeah. It's disputed, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go with William. All right, uh, Tom Tyler. Uh, you know oh. Tom Tyler. From a lot of uh, westerns and a lot of serials, his first 
was the Phantom of the West, a 1930 mascot serial uh, in which he spoke his words. And uh, Tom Tyler probably is more known for playing the role of Captain Marvel uh, in the... Was that a Republic serial? He not only talked, he flew. Well, that and uh, the only words that he said were Shazam. Shazam. (laughs) So... You know, when I was a kid, I thought it was Shazam. Yeah, right. Well, that's how they speak down south. Yeah, Shazam. Shazam. Not to denigrate our southern listeners, because I lived in the south. I love the south. Florida's the second home. Is Texas considered south? Texas is is south, yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, Another great actor, Harry Carey. Uh, His first talkie that I was able to unearth here. I have not seen it. I got to find this one called Trader Horn. Oh, that's a good movie. And it's from 1931. What do you know about it? Well, for one thing, they, they it, it was the first one shot in Africa on location, and the leading lady in it, uh, they had a scene in there where she's bathing, semi-clad or not, uh, in one of the African rivers. She came back and within a year was dead. They didn't know that there was a microbe in the in that oh my river. Goodness. That the natives didn't bother Ooh. the natives because they had they had yeah. acclimated to it right. over the centuries. But it slowly ate her alive from the wow. inside. Wow. But it was great Africa it was Africa in its greatest. Todd, have you seen Trader Horn? I I have years and years ago and I you know, like with so many of these pictures from the early days, you you know, you have to love film to be willing to say, you know, um, well, I'm not going to, I don't care that the sound's not the greatest or, you know, the color's not the greatest because it's in black and white or it is black and white, whatever. You know, I've, uh, I've had conversations where I've met people who said, you know, they love film, they're into film, they work in film. Uh, and I always ask the question, you know, what's your favorite black and white? Uh, well, uh, I don't want uh, uh, who's your um, favorite child? You know, um, yeah, I, you, well, you know, I can't really come up with one off the top of my head. I said, you yeah. probably, you've never seen one, have right. you? <laughs> no, no, I probably haven't. <laughs> so, you know, I don't think you can love film unless you appreciate black and white. And to put that into perspective, there was a point in time uh, that the Oscars gave out the best black and white film and cinematography mm-hmm. and the best yeah. color. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that. And I think that that's, yep. a, that's a very fair thing. I mean, the fight that uh, Woody Allen had to go through to shoot Manhattan in black and white. Yeah, no kidding. Was yeah. monumental. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, monumental. Here's one for you. I like this one because it's, it's off, the be- off what we're doing, but it's on what we're doing. And that's the Border Legion from Paramount in, in 1930. But that was the first sound version of a Zane Grey Western. Okay. Right. Uh, Buck Jones. Oh, my favorite. Another yeah. great silent actor and great uh, sound actor. The Lone Rider uh, from 1930. That's his first talkie. Unfortunately, Buck Jones uh, passed in the uh, Coconut Grove fire, was that 1942? Yes. And um, uh, Massachusetts, I think, in Boston. And um, who knows how his career might have uh, might have gone had he survived. Uh, uh, well, you, you, you look at Buck Jones and the build of the man. I mean, he's got a, he's built like Jack Holt for God's sake. Yeah. He's got a he's a square man. He's a square square jaw. 
He looks like a good guy. No chest. <laughs> yeah, the well, big barrel you know, chest. This, this is an interesting one, too, because this was the first all-talking Western for Jones after the Columbia from Fox. And this also, you were talking about Jones. He was the top-grossing Western yes. star in 1934. Yes. And he was actually getting, one for a couple years, getting more mail than Clark Gable. Yeah, yeah, if you can imagine that. Uh, Tom Mix... Everybody thinks of him as a silent star. Indeed, he was a silent star and a great silent star, no question. Uh, Destry Rides Again from 1932, his uh, first and one of the few talkies that he made prior to his death in 1940. And, you know, one of the drawbacks to uh, Mix is that in earlier in his life, he had a throat injury. Yeah. And... He could only talk for a little while, and his voice would go on him, and it was a raspy because of that. But that's the one one blessing, and that is that being a cowboy in a cowboy western, it raspy don't matter. voices aren't aren't a curse like it would have been for yeah. a, a romantic leading man in a, in a bedroom <laughs> comedy. Give me a kiss. Give me a kiss. And, and where did Tom Mix die, guys? In uh, and between uh, Oracle and Florence. Yep, on uh, the border of Pinal County and Pima County area. On State Highway... 80, isn't it? Or 89 or something 89, like that? 89, I think. I know there's it's a... Not top... 70? No, it's not 70, no. no. But anyway, we got to do our next, our final commercial break here, guys. Wow, it's cool. I know, the hour's uh, slipping by very quickly. Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, Todd Roberts on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. David Layton with us. We'll be back. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true West, where a large number of Westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. Are you looking for a smart way to invest your hard-earned dollars? Look no further than Wilkinson Wealth Management. This is an investment firm that works for you based on your expectations, not what the stock market says. This is a firm that wants you as a client, not just as a customer. This is a firm that lets you design a portfolio for when you need it. It's a new name, but the same great service you've come to expect. I Miss Wilkinson is now Wilkinson Wealth Management. 7411 East Tank Verde in Tucson. 520-777-1911. Hello, I'm Mr. Red. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats. But did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right, it's called Horse It Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. 
and Horse It Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses, so they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horse It Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in Southeast Arizona. Your tax-deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, horseitaroundrescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's horseitaroundrescue.org. Hi, this is Craig Morgan with a special message for all those who have served in the U.S. Army. The National Museum of the United States Army, to be built at Fort Belvoir, Virginia, will include the Soldier's Registry, an electronic record of Americans who have worn the Army uniform, recognizing their service. I've already added my story to the registry. I hope you'll add yours. To learn more and to make your story a permanent part of the National Army Museum, visit armyhistory.org. Boss, I wouldn't be so awful careless about this shooting and cattle wrestling. Was I you? You don't like it, eh? Well, I was only thinking. I'll do all the thinking. You and the rest do as you're told, and we'll get somewhere. Where? You got a six-gun where your brains ought to be. This is the Voices of the West. The cowpunch's cry resounds to the sky. Sing yippee-ki-yay, yippee-ki-yay. Sing yippee-ki-yay. Our voices will scare the rustlers away. Sing yippee-ki-yay, yippee-ki-yay. The clickety-click of the hoofbeats ring on the stones as we ride on the trail. They sound in the hills and the echoes sing of the cowboys whose hearts don't fail. Sing yippee-ki-yay. The dope is a slow. This song makes them go. Sing yippee-ki-yay, yippee-ki-yay. We're going to be sing doing that here. Yippee-ki-yay. <laughs> Welcome back to Abel Francis, Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, and Todd Roberts. David Layton is our uh, in-studio guest, as it were. Uh, we're talking about the first uh, talkies of our favorite Western stars. Ta- Tim McCoy, another favorite. Colonel. Colonel Tim McCoy, youngest brigadier general ever in the yeah. United States Army. Uh, well, uh, National Guard, but it doesn't matter. Uh, Indians are coming, 1930. It was a serial. And that was his first. Ken Maynard, also known as a singing cowboy, and thank goodness he had a day job as well. Uh, the, <laughs> the Wagon Master from 1930 is his first talking film. Hoot Gibson, his first talkie, uh, was The Long, Long Trail from What's, 1929. Wait a second. I want to add a footnote to that. Yeah. Hoot Gibson's last part talkie, yeah. was courting Wildcats in 1929. All right. And it, the thing about part talking was that those were filmed interiors on the stage and yeah. the exteriors were shot the old way like silence. Yeah. Okay, we've got a few moments left here, and uh, we're, we've, I've saved the best for the last, I think. Uh, Gary Cooper and Randolph Scott. Oh. Uh, as we all put our hands to our hearts. <laughs> Uh, Gary Cooper, his first talkie, The Virginian, in 1929. Randolph Scott, here's where Bunker and I digress, uh, disagree. Yes. Uh, Randolph Scott's uh, first talkie, I believe, could have been the movie Women, Mar- Women Men Marry from 1931. His first talkie in, uh, as a Western, the uh, first of uh, the nine Zane Greys that he did, Heritage of the Desert, in 1933. Bunker suggests that uh, because uh, Scott appeared in the Virginian, 
that therefore he, that should be his first. Well, yeah, uh, and it's also because of Cooper, you know. But uh, one of the interesting <laughs> footnotes is that he was Cooper's dialogue coach, yeah. coaching him on the Southern Virginian accent. I know, and that's something. Yeah. Uh, Todd, what do you know about uh, Randolph Scott? Was he born in North Carolina or in Virginia? I believe he was born in North Carolina. I've seen uh, a couple of uh, bios that suggest uh, either yeah. North Carolina and or Virginia. I guess they can't seem to... foot in each state. Yeah, they well, can't figure it out. Yeah, let, let me try to offend all our Virginia listeners. I just think that his, his, shall I say, his way of speaking, his articulation is very refined. That's Virginian. Well, That's a Southern gentleman, sir. Yeah, a sir. Southern gentleman, but... Uh, you know, I think that there's an element of, of shall I say, um, West Virginian, which is maybe not as refined. It is a different, a different dialect and a, and a different type of way Regional. of speaking. But I would, more importantly to me, is the fact that something that is not well known about Randolph Scott is he was probably the best tennis player in all of Hollywood. He and uh, uh, um, he's the only actor in the what the. Uh, the most exclusive country club out there because they didn't allow actors, and they said he's not an actor. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. Um, but, but he was. Know, he he could have. He was approached by uh, the Olympic team. He didn't go out, but he was approached by them. He yeah. was that good in his younger days, and wow. and he was a, a diligent. Uh, dil- and he also, for somebody that didn't grow up on a horse. He sure knew how to ride. Right. You know, uh, yeah, he really did. And, every time and he I worked see, at it. Every time I see a Randolph Scott movie and I see him mount or dismount a horse, I mean, it, it could be Ben Johnson doing that. Well, a lot of times it was either Al Wyatt or uh, uh, yep, oh, yep. Range Rider, uh, uh, John Jock Mahoney. Jock uh, Mahoney, really? Jock, you know, because Jock yeah. was a hell of a hell of a horse. Well, yeah, no but, you know, think about this. After the Civil War, the West was full of Southerners, so he yep. probably had one of the most authentic voices, sounds. I'm thinking for the West. yes. I'm thinking so. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm and so. also whoever taught him how to ride, and I obviously he had more than one teacher because I think he. Had you know uh, uh, through his career, but there's a congruent, um, shall I say, theme to his writing, especially as you notice, Harry, when he gets on and off a horse, he has tr- tremendous respect for the animal. Yes, mm-hmm. and giving that respect, it's important to realize that a horse can hear a human's heartbeat from four feet away. Yeah, yeah. their hearing is so in tune, and their sense of smell can pick up the shall I say, the perspiration of the human being or any other animal. That's why so many Charlie Russell paintings are about a horse which can smell something that the human doesn't see, hear, or smell, which is usually a grizzly bear. Todd, we're and out of time. Going up. We're out of time. we got oh, we got to run. Fudge. I know. This is a great show. Next time we get together, Tucson Festival of Books is coming up. We'll be talking with yes. author Lynn Downey next Saturday here on Amal Franzi's Voices of the West. Uh, 78, 79. Silence. Oh, wait a minute. ADOs. <laughs> So long, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Emil Franzing's Voices of the West.
Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Emil Franzing's Voices of the West. 